drawn to a life that once was. Wandering around empty spaces, it's time to visit the mall in Dawn of the Dead. Mafia, wake up, wake up. You have created a monster and it will destroy you. An ideal shopping experience, or <laughs> is it? Or is it the perfect shopping <laughs> experience? Be, that is the ultimate question asked that is asked in this week's film. But before then, Alex, welcome back to the Monsters vs. Men podcast, the bargain basement of the Monster Podcasting Airways, where two friends try to stay alive and stay connected mm-hmm. by chatting this week about Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. Uh, with me today is. Uh, Mr. Blank Face himself, Alex. Joined by uh, that guy throwing hundreds of bodies in the freezer, Eric. <laughs> uh, yes, plenty to choose from this week, Alex. <laughs> Maybe not a great solution. Uh-huh. Maybe the perfect no. solution. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking to myself, why are you, is there a bunch of food in there? Like, aren't you going to spoil all thought. that food? I thought I saw like meat in there. I'm like, yeah, bro. I was like, Aren't you spoiling all that food? But like maybe they're thinking like we're gonna freeze the bodies and so they're not gonna dec- I don't know. I don't yeah, know. Maybe. Oh weird. A little weird. A little weird. Um but hey, before we get into it, we did just to to be clear, I don't think we'll get into this much in our review, but we did watch the extended edition of this film, mm-hmm. which was the original con edit, uh con festival edit. Um that was kind of raw. It was, it was the most raw edit before the theatrical release here in America. That's the one that we watched. So that's a little bit longer. It's about, what was it, two hours and 19 minutes, Alex? Yeah, yeah that's about right. Whew, man, I had to stay up past my bedtime to watch this one. Yeah, you, you messaged me a couple times pretty late this week. I was I know, like, what man. is going on with Eric? <laughs> I know. I was, I was watching Dawn of the Dead, man. <laughs> wow. It's kind of crazy. So kind of crazy. No, I've, I've never been more proud. <laughs> well, let's get into it because I think we'll have enough to discuss this week, yeah, Alex. For sure. After Night of the Living Dead, audiences might have certain expectations for George Romero's zombie follow-up 10 years later, Dawn of the Dead. But let's start this discussion by discussing how Dawn met or departed from those expectations. Alex, did Dawn divert from what you expected or hammer down on what Night of the Living Dead perfected? Oh, well, that's kind of a trick question because I don't know if Night of the Living Dead perfected anything. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> I do think that the film diverts from what was expected, though, after watching Night of the Living Dead. You know, the film starts with a bang. Uh, several of them, lots of them, <laughs> at zombies and humans alike. <laughs> uh-huh. And I loved it because. It's such an interesting movie in that first 20 minutes because it's paced so rapidly. Mm-hmm. It's edited so quickly just to make you feel the chaos of the situation while yeah. they're in these closed quarters and just shooting at anything that moves. Not that they're supposed to, but some of them just want to because, well, some of them are racist and some of them are just scared. And it's, so it's just leading to a whole, it's just a terrible situation. 
no matter mm-hmm. how you look at it. And it's just such a nonstop, erratic, chaotic moment. Yeah. That is really memorable for me. Like, it was just such a crazy experience after seeing this, like, kind of slow plotting Night of the Living Dead to mm-hmm. go to something just off the wall. And I think it's really cool and maybe a testament to Romero's creativity mm-hmm. and his ability to, to step away from mostly what he did in night of the living oh, day, yeah. which is to be oh, yeah. really appreciated here. I have to give him some flowers for that. Cause he's very impressed at how different this is from the last. He, he could have taken the easy route and he didn't. And I really do appreciate that because we get with all this chaos, we're seeing this mental toll being taken on these essentially, I guess they're exterminators in a way. Yeah. And the effect on it, you know, whenever I see a zombie thing, I don't really ever feel anything towards the zombies. And so it was kind of, it did take me a little bit of an adjustment period to come around to the idea that they may feel something killing these things. Mm-hmm. Um, but after I thought about it for a while, I was like, ah, maybe it does make sense. But Eric, I kind of want to know from you, like what did this hammer down on what night of the living dead perfected? Or was it different than you expected? Oh, well, I'll tell you, it did what I expected in that Romero uh, had some similar social commentary here as he did in Night of the Living Dead. At the beginning of the film, uh, I was seeing several similarities with the way the opening scene creates a sense of doubt about the broader Mm -hmm. narrative that's being broadcasted. So even before like the police raid scene, right? We, We get that other broadcast scene, which is also surreal. Right, because it's just so chaotic. We see, you know, we see something similar in Night of the Living Dead when the scientists and the police officer on TV they're not on the same page, um, and they they can't get their story straight. We see that again here um, from the get go as what's as to what's being espoused on the news and how it's being derided by the younger staff of the news station. Uh, it, it sets the stage as we get a feeling of disarray. You're not sure what to believe or what to expect, even you as the audience member stepping into this film. Now, what I didn't expect was I didn't expect to end up with a buddy film parody that is haunting, terrifying, and funny. Now, it took me a while to settle into the film and the tone it was going for, but once I did, I, I really enjoyed this ride. Yeah, I, I think Romero really does do something special here with all of these elements that you just mentioned. And I really am once again impressed with something he did in Night Of. He gives you a bit of a misdirection on who the real protagonist of the story is. Uh-huh. You know, we get introduced to, well, we get introduced to another character first, but we really get introduced to Roger first. Right. He feels like he is the proper protagonist of the film. <laughs> Yeah, and he, he's it, he just feels like he's driving it. Even when he meets Peter, Peter feels like maybe the sidekick. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that once they meet each other, that's when the film really starts taking off, and we kind of see some more interesting aspects of this world. And like you said, kind of maybe this buddy film type thing, but yeah. just a lot of layers of this world and chaos of it is kind of revealed. And then while that's all taking off, Roger becomes suddenly an absolute idiot and gets bitten in an incredibly dumb scene. Mm -hmm. 
And then we get his slow expiration of that character. And then he is killed with like an hour left in the film. Yeah. (laughs) It's really surprising when he gets bit because it's like, Hey, it was dumb, but also Roger, it really was like, it was almost on the levels of night of the living dead, but it's also Roger's quite not himself anymore. Mm -hmm. And, but still, um, uh, what's his name? Anytime um, anybody's a victim to zombies, you're like, man, that person was just dumb. dude. He crawled into a pit of them. Yeah, <laughs> he crawled know, he, into a pit. Of I, I agree. It wasn't like he was I running by them dumb. like all the other times in the movie. Like they're easily I, avoidable. He yeah. goes to right where they are already standing. I know, but he was dumb. It was an entirely dumb situation to begin with, and he had already been been. He had already been exhibiting signs of just growing too overconfident in his own abilities well, and thinking and that he was also when he when he he also gets saved and he kind of loses his sanity a little bit there. Oh yeah, which is weird yeah. because why is that the moment that he loses? Like he gets blood on him. Uh-huh. You're telling me you didn't get blood on yourself when you killed all of these other hundred zombies? I yeah. don't know. Uh, I don't know. Uh, Roger's little arc at the end there for him, I don't really buy into. But yeah. what I did like. Well, is, Roger but, is, but Roger's in the movie for another forty-five minutes after he gets bitten. He, he spends a lot of time in that wheelbarrow. <laughs> he spends a it's lot so of time funny. in the wheelbarrow. So. <laughs> so it's it's pretty funny when they just wheel him around, and they're just waiting for him to turn into. They're just waiting for him to die, and, and then yeah. like while he's waiting to die, he's participating. He's like playing video games in the arcade. He's playing video games in the arcade. <laughs> he's okay with it, actually. Oh, he is. Yeah, like he's like, yeah, it's okay. It is what it yeah. is. Like, yeah. Well, it, it might be the morphine that help that's helping too. It definitely helps. Definitely <laughs> helps. But his slow expiration was pretty fun. Uh, and I mean, fun. But then when he revives, mm-hmm. pretty, pretty foreboding scene. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really foreboding. Uh, and then the the uh, the biggest shocker, though, in terms of our characters, is not that he is killed. Mm-hmm. With an hour left in the film, but that Stephen, yeah, yeah, stays alive almost yeah. the entire film, <laughs> despite being this like, I hate saying this, but I think it, I think Romero is actually commenting on something like this, like a toxic masculinity type of uh-huh. like, I want to be the hero. That's yes. who Stephen is. He is the but, incapable, but incapable man. <laughs> yeah, about <laughs> yeah. the same word, Eric. We're we're, mm-hmm. we're linked. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> he's the incapable hero. Yeah, or at least he thinks he is. But golly, mm-hmm. this man is such a waste of space for so long. And just <laughs> when he starts to get a lot better, when the time comes to for an opportunity to be the hero, he takes uh-huh. it instead of being smart. Oh right, right. right? When yeah, when they get yeah. raided, he could just yeah. Leave. It all comes back around. Yeah, it, <laughs> he, he goes back into his old habits. He wants to be the hero, and I don't think he tags a single guy with his gunshots. Yeah, and I and then you know he eventually he gets what he he probably he didn't deserve it. I wouldn't say, but you know he tries to start a war with these guys, and he gets bitten in the process. Mm-hmm. And I've hardly mentioned Francine here. Yeah. And though, although it's kind of interesting that she's kind of posed to be another main character, mm-hmm. she does kind of fade to the side a lot of the film and then reemerges in key moments of the film. Yeah, uh, I think that's and I think that's kind of 
it's interesting. You can't pinpoint who's the main character of this movie. And I think that's one of the reasons it becomes successful is you start to kind of see all four of these characters and their flaws. And it is, it is interesting. You know, Stephen does have something to add, but it has nothing to do with his masculinity. <laughs> no. It has everything to do with his problem solving skills. Yeah. He's actually like a pretty good, like a, he's a smart guy. Like you yeah. can tell, like he comes up with the solution for like he the has, walls and he's yeah, like, he, yeah, he has a lot of great ideas. Um, and so he's, he, he pulls his weight, but then he tries, to, he still tries to be like this macho guy. And his, it's, it's so, it's just fascinating. He's, he's a slime ball. And then you kind of end up liking him a little yeah. bit. <laughs> right. But then he's, his fatal flaw is the same flaw that he had at the very beginning. It's not that the flaw goes away. It's that it's just exposed in a different way, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's just so it's just interesting. I, I love how this film refuses to give us that main character. You know, you could say Peter, but Peter's not the main character either, right? Like, yeah. um, he, I mean, good on him like, because, for because surviving. The, the film he's almost not. ends with uh-huh. it, you feeling, for some reason, even though she's not in the bulk of the film, uh-huh. that Francine is the main character. She starts to fly away. Yeah. And then and then Peter has this whole revelation at the yeah. end. But no, you're right, Eric. There is something interesting where you can't quite pin who the main character is because when you start feeling that way, that character almost takes a back seat to other characters. It's true. Yeah, it's true. Um, Romero, though, in this film, really spares no one at the expense of his satire. Mm. He, he takes 1978 America head on. So last week, I called Night of the Living Dead timeless, in a sense. But this week, it, this film feels so of its time that it really captures something uniquely special. I mean, we get commentary on American consumerism, hippies, <laughs> biker gangs, the media, science, even public relations, maybe toxic masculinity, like you said. Mm -hmm. But it's really that first one, the critique of consumer culture that really comes to the forefront and and offers something new and interesting to this genre. Yes, we get the zombies returning to the places that they love, even though they don't know why. But it's the hollow core at our friends turned family of four that really starts wearing on your soul. Mm-hmm. At one point, Francine comes out and asks, after Love Boy starts proclaiming about all the nice things they find in the mall, she proclaims, what are we doing? Right? Like, mm-hmm. what are we doing? The mall culture in 2023 now, it feels almost dead. Maybe yes. I'm just old, right? But, yes. <laughs> but it feels almost dead. But the particularity of this consumer critique is what this film of its time is what makes it feel timeless exactly and and there was a bit of nostalgia for me while i'm watching these this bustling mall you know yeah Yeah. they are zombies but there's definitely nostalgia when you see a busy mall uh Uh, definitely so i don't know about you but when i was a kid i hung out at the mall quite a bit did you yes i did it yes (laughs) yeah i did um and and so there's a bit of nostalgia there for me but you're like you said eric even though the malls are dying the general idea is still there. Amazon oh, yeah. and how much we consume by having it shipped to us. I mean, it's it's even worse now because we just sit oh. we sit on our butts and it's yeah, delivered it's to us. So much worse. <laughs> it's so much worse now. <laughs> now there's zero community. <laughs> yes. Right. Exactly. No human interaction. It's so bad. It is so bad. <laughs> Things are so much worse, but it also makes this, like you said, timeless. Now, there are some 
interesting themes here that I really like. Like the, some of the police themes in the early portion of the movie, I thought were really interesting. You you get a whole gamut of different police type officers, right? Yeah. You get heroic ones doing the right thing, killing their own when they're getting out of hand. Um, you get them doing uh, abusing their power. I mean, you see a, a whole gamut of different type uh-huh. of police officers in those opening moments. And I really appreciate Romero kind of hitting everything very quickly. I expected a little more time with some of that commentary, but we do leave it behind for the bulk of our commentary. Mm-hmm. Consumerism, like we've already said. And, and Eric, it's consumerism. Did you get that, Eric? See, yeah. there's yeah. they're eating. <laughs> they're literally consuming, Eric. They're consuming. <laughs> really, like, like non-stop telling us consuming, consuming, yeah. consuming. Yeah. It's Honestly, a little exhausting. But once again, I do believe the same thing that I said last week. And mm-hmm. I'm interested to see if it continues with Romero. I do not believe that Romero has faith in his audience. Mm. He literally has a guy choose to put his arm in a free arm pressure machine while being chased by zombies. And I get that it's a satire and it's supposed to be somewhat funny. But that moment, it's too much. It's not good. It, it, it is so far from believability that it just kind of hurts those moments. And it's just not clever. And some of these elements of the consumerism theme just read as try hard. Like, yes, when at the end of the movie when the zombies are walking around and the music's playing and it's, they're just shopping like normal people... We don't need that. We have had that the entire movie. Like, we get it. We get it, Romero. (laughs) That's true. Like, it's just, he he spends too much time on one theme while he has a lot of others that he's explored, but he's left behind because he's found his central idea. Um, But Eric... Yeah. What do you think yeah. about it? Did you know about the main theme being consumerism? Yeah. No, I did. I did. <laughs> did you know? Um, oh, yeah, I think I got it. But I'll tell you, um, yeah, my main critique. So I, I'm with you. And I think you're right. There are two parts that I'm like, well, it just needs to be cut down a little bit. The literal consumerism of the zombies eating people. Oh, yes. yeah. I think it's just too, a little bit too long, right? Mm-hmm. Um but then also the, the final moments towards the end of the mall hangout and then also the pacing of the bike gang takeover yeah. um, at the end. You mentioned, you know, there's a guy who puts his arm in the pressure machine and gets eaten alive. Yeah, I mean, again, these guys, these guys are so full of themselves and full of confidence that they think they can do whatever they want. That's at least how I was justifying it to myself. But just generally speaking – like that whole scene just went on a little too long, yep. right? It felt like we should have been reaching our conclusion a little bit sooner. And it's just so much of that was repetitive and it wasn't furthering either the story or the theme in any way, shape or form. Yeah. Um, so, so that would be my crit- critique of the film. So maybe if I went back and watched the theatrical cut, it, it might help with, with cutting back some of those um, problems that I had. But Overall, this film is just fun. 
Um, and while I'm not a huge fan of gore when it is done in a hyper-realistic way and feels exploitive to me, um, mm-hmm. I don't feel that here. It's over the top and ridiculous. You almost have to admire the relatively low-budget nature of it all, right? Beyond that, it's just these four that I, I will come back to, despite all their obvious flaws. I had no idea that these characters would actually come to care about each other. Right. And on top of that, I would start to care about them. Uh, and this all has to do with these quiet moments of relationship between these four within the mall. And they all have relationships like with each other in, in, in strange ways, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that makes it believable. And it makes you care about them because you see them caring about others. And so like you see Peter um, preparing a dinner yeah for fly boy that was and, so that was so fun like, right, when, right that was so fun it's like that's such like a cool character moment yeah exactly and, and you see uh francine taking care of roger mm-hmm. right um whenever he's he's dying um you see uh peter caring about how Francine is doing Mm -hmm. and having small tender moments of care for her. Uh, You see Peter and Roger's relationship really Mm -hmm. uh, start to blossom. Like there's the most buddy um, relationship (laughs) of the film. But then you also see Peter kind of start to recognize Roger going off the deep end and trying to pull him back. You see them, you see the growing admiration and confidence that they start to gain mm-hmm. in uh, Flyboy, right? Yes. Uh, it's just all of that is is interesting to watch. Uh, it's just this dynamic that, oh man, is is really uh, interesting to me. I don't think I've seen a film quite like it. Yeah, and, um, and Francine and Flyboy's relationship—it's like all over the place, but it's in all a over the place. Un, in like a realistic, probably way. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, it's 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 very interesting. So much of it does make sense, and I'll keep coming back to the those relationships as the the reason that I enjoyed this mm-hmm. film so much. Yeah, but sure. uh, in Plus today, we talk about uh, the Last of Us. We talk about RRR. Uh, you you finished it and yes. finally have some more conclusions about it. And then we do get more into Dawn of the Dead. We talk about the different versions of this movie. And we also talk about some of the more controversial uh, segments, especially at the beginning of this film. That's over at patreon.com forward slash MVM pod, where you can become a bargain base bite, get access to that MVM plus episode and our entire backlog of episodes. But Alex, let's get into our awards. Who's your compelling character award? I got to give it to Peter. Yeah. He, 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 at the end of the day, he was my favorite one to watch on screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just had so much confidence when he was around. No wonder everybody yeah. felt safe around Peter. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and honestly, I was. Uh, if he had uh, if if he had committed suicide at the end, like he was going to, I would have been like, that was weird. I would have too. Um, but the fact that he, I mean, it's still weird that he gets into the situation that he does, but I I do appreciate that moment where he's like, yeah, I'm not doing that. (laughs) And he decides to fight his way out. Um, because there's no indication that he's exhausted, you know, throughout the film. 
which is a little off-putting for that moment. If they had built a little bit of him being tired and just done with all of it. But he feels like the driving force of keeping everybody going Oh yeah, a lot of the time. But Peter, he, he's, he's funny. He, he, he's a jack-of-all-trades is mm-hmm. what I got to say about Peter. Yeah. What about you, Eric? Well, me, it's it's just got to be like the eccentric nature of Roger. <laughs> Roger's pretty compelling <laughs> to me because yes. he is set up as a main character, but then he's just he is just kind of off the chain a lot of the time. Yes, and he's just in it for a good time. It's really interesting um, to to see what they do with his character. So yeah, he, he's dynamic. I feel safe around Peter. But I feel entertained around Roger, right? Yeah. Um, and I do give a special shout out to the scientists. They keep on watching on TV with the eye patch. Yeah. Who keeps raising his voice at certain times and keeps on droning on and on about like the science and then starts having some extreme ideas, right? About what to do. It's very interesting. I'm not sure, like, there's a critique there, I'm sure. Um, and maybe I need more cultural context to, to get what Romero's trying to to say with this one. But yeah, the scientist is is strangely compelling uh, because I'm not sure if Romero's critiquing or trying to offer him as a solution or what's the deal there. Yeah, I'm not sure either. And I do like that. And he was like such a his voice, like really was like reminding me of like another. Person, I was like, man, this guy must have been like a cult actor, right? Like he like appeared in a ton of movies or something. Mm-hmm. No, well, he didn't. The one thing he wanted to make sure is that we have to be logical, right? Right. You <laughs> or was it logical. rational? Which, which is fun. Which I did. I did think that was funny. But then you also have that moment where, um, not too long after that scene where he's like making those statements, that mm-hmm. Peter has to be logical or. He has to be rational, and that's when he could go back and check on Steven after he hears him screaming, Yeah, but he knows what's happened. Even after oh, the yeah. gunshots, he's logical mm-hmm. about it, and he stays away, which is how he yeah. survives. Yep. <laughs> uh, most memorable line award, Alex. Um, I'll go ahead and tell you mine. Right. It, it touches on something you talked about earlier, but it's Roger. Uh, Roger says, why did these people keep them here? Talking about the the zombies that were kept in the the, Mm, kind of the the cage at the beginning of the film, the basement. Yeah. And Peter says, cause they still believe there's respect and die. And I think that's touching on something. Um, Maybe the more uh, it's the antidote to some of the nihilism in this film is some sort of respect in the dying process. It's it is the fact that the more of these zombies that you kill, even though they're zombies, the more it's doing something to your soul. Um, you mentioned it earlier. I think there is a real effect here, and I, I think it's hinting at that effect at the beginning of this film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so too. I thought it was so interesting when the the priest walks out, right, and he's yeah. giving yeah. them their last rites. Yeah, very um, different. What about you? Yeah, mine's Peter also, and he's got that big uh, rifle. And he's talking with Flyboy, and he was like laughing about how he says the only person who could miss with this gun is the sucker with the bread to buy it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's a good line. That's that pretty a good. good line. Yeah. Uh, can't believe the acting award. Yeah. I wanted to give it to that scientist that you were talking about earlier. 
so yeah. that would be Richard France, who again I thought must have been some sort of cult actor. And no, he's only been in nine movies ever. Huh. Um, but that voice, man, that's the voice like of a legend. He he could have had a real career. I don't know how he didn't take off. Honestly, we should ask him, sir. Why didn't your career really pop <laughs> off like you were hoping? Uh, maybe we should. I, I chose Galen Ross, who played Francine. Um, there's this, there's that moment. Uh, I I, I touched on it earlier where. Um, Flyboy comes back with all some stuff and he's like, you won't believe all the stuff that we get. And she's like, what are we doing here? And it's just, she has some moments. She is like the reflective power mm-hmm. in this group um, where they get carried away. She's always the one in the backdrop. Does she, does she fall to the background sometimes? Mm-hmm. 100%. Right. She definitely does. But I, I think that is slightly intentional because um, this reflective element, has to go to the background in order for them to survive, not just physically, but also sort of emotionally and, and spiritually. They have to be able to push aside any of those reflective moments of what are we doing here in order to just enjoy themselves in that moment, mm-hmm. despite the chaos going around, going on around them in the world. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah. but she was great. Yeah, <clears throat> she, she, great. She, she, she was uh, my favorite performance here for sure. What about your, Oh, that's a good shot award. That So mine is the, it's not really just one shot, but a series of shots. And that is the police raid because of how erratically edited it is. Mm-hmm. What again, that's that sequence is just awesome because of the yeah. claustrophobia and the tension that it builds. And just like, you don't know what's going to happen next because everything is happening all at once. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I was really blown away by that whole sequence. Not that there was any particularly phenomenal shots mm-hmm. in there. I mean, there was a cool event. I mean, the lady's head blowing up was a cool effects shot. Uh, but <laughs> you know, it is charged with a bunch of commentary in that moment. So I don't really want to pick that shot, but that is pretty cool. And I, you know, something I didn't really mention is I really love the effects in this movie. Yeah. Very yeah. impressed with a lot of them, and it's like you said, they're 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 almost cartoonish enough to not be nauseating. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, very yeah. cool. Now, what about you, Eric? <laughs> what about the? Because your shot is the one I probably would have picked, honestly. Really? Yes. So, if we're talking about the same shot, it's the sh- the shot of the couple in bed. Is that the shot? No, mine's oh. different. Mine was the the shot of the couple in bed that as a pre-pubescent teen would have stood out to me for a different reason. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. But what stood out to me in this viewing um, is just the hollowness of that moment. It really is completely hollow. So it's it's much more of like like a still frame. The characters don't move at all. All that moves is the camera as it slowly pans away. And we see that bed with that poster in this real without a bed frame with some sheets on it. Um, it just shows again, kind of how hollow the situation is. Even the interior space that they're working with here is is hollow. Um, and that was a, that was a haunting shot in particular that definitely stood out to me. Wow! What was the, the bedroom? What was the other scene? Oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. But the, Roger Rising scene. Yeah, the Roger Rising yeah. scene. Dude, it's creepy. <laughs> it's creepy. 
It is creepy. Yeah, yeah. it is very creepy. That's good. Um, all right, unique awards, Alex. I'll start all with right, mine. Maybe you have one for my award too. Mine is the favorite zombie award, and that's the uh, bald tambourine hippie uh, zombie <laughs> <laughs> that sneaks in on Francine. Uh, that uh, that was my favorite zombie. Pretty funny. You have a yeah, favorite zombie? Yeah. I like that she has encounters with two religious zombies. Yeah, the the nun and then that one, yeah. <laughs> the, the little monk. <laughs> the tambourine zombie. Yeah. <clears throat> what you, do you have a favorite zombie? Well, mine isn't a favorite. So uh, my favorite zombie probably would have been, you know, I'm going to go with the one that was carrying the gun. And then <laughs> Peter tries to hit him with the gun and he grabs it and he changes yeah, it he out. Changes and he goes it, yeah. for like a nicer gun. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. That was yeah. pretty funny. I actually really like that. No, that was good. Um, and then I, for me, I had my unique award, Eric. I had the biggest disappointment award. Mm. No naked zombies this time. No naked zombies. We get some naked people. One naked person. Yeah. Top, I guess. N- no, no, no naked, naked butts in this mall. Mm. I guess. Sad day for Alex. That's right. That's right. No <laughs> naked zombies. So minus one for this movie. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into our final thoughts and tiered rating, Alex. Um, what do you think? Yeah, for, start us off. So this is definitely a big improvement for me over Night of the Living Dead because I think in this movie, I actually see Romero trying to say a lot of things, and I think a lot of them really hit some really interesting points without sticking around too long, which I can actually really appreciate. It it, it doesn't quite feel like it's unfulfilled. Like some of its police commentary and its news commentary, you know, it sticks around for a little while. I don't, I don't have that unfulfilled feeling about it. I feel like it said its piece and left it vague enough for you to kind of think about it. I do wish he hadn't decided to hammer on consumerism for the other hour and a half. Um, because it really does become one note in terms of that theme. Luckily, during these moments, we've got really great bonding moments with our characters that I really did appreciate. And I was surprised that I cared for Flyboy at all. But <laughs> to have him kind of turn around and be like an interesting character, I couldn't believe it. I thought this man was biting the dust early because of something stupid. And then he ruins like the, the mall for everybody else. Mm-hmm. Well, and he kind of does, I guess, at the end of the day, right? He, he blows their hideout. He, blow, he, he blows it because he reveals that they're there and he starts firing the guns at them. Like they know they're there, but they're not trying to kill him. Now they're trying to kill him, and then the zon- he leads, as a zombie, the zombies to the hideout, which was kind of cool. So I'm going to give this a Gamera tier. It's still not a Godzilla tier. I still have a few issues. I, I, I don't like the way Roger ends up being executed at the end of the day. Like I really like the character, but we go into some illogical moments with with the it's just silly the way he gets bitten if i'm being completely honest like (laughs) i I don't know i saw that and i was like that was dumb that was just so dumb and then i think the movie like you said eric i didn't i didn't mention this while while we were talking but Mm -hmm. i mean i guess we still are talking um but it does stick around for too long probably 20 minutes too long yeah we spent a lot of time shopping and 
I think it's just like we had extra scenes, and so let's throw them in. And I do think Romero kind of does it a little over the top with his commentary and having the uh, man put his arm in the the uh, heart rate machine. So I give this a high or a middle to high gamma tier. I really enjoyed it. I like that there's some interesting things being said. That being said, the first 20 minutes of this movie, I was most captivated by. That's interesting because I was kind of the opposite, right? Like the first 20 minutes, I was like a little put off, but the rest of the movie, I was bought in. Um, Yeah, I did text you late one night, way past my bedtime. (laughs) saying that I couldn't stop watching the film basically, right? Like I was, I kept on going and I'm laying in bed and I'm, I'm trying to not watch this anymore, but I just keep watching it because it had captured my attention, uh, in a way that a, a film in our podcast hasn't done in a little while, uh-uh. um, which is interesting, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think this movie is flawed in, in a lot of ways. And, I, I think my assessment of Night of the Living Dead is timeless. I, I would agree with that. And I think this is of its time. But when I think about the two films in general, the film that I want to revisit again is Dawn of the Dead. Yes. Um, I think I think this film, like I could rewatch parts of this movie right now, right? I could rewatch a different version, either theatrical cut um, or the other cut, wow. Argento cut. Um, I could watch that again right now um because it was just a different type of movie i I told you on mvm plus that this is the first movie that i actually wanted to kind of do some research about after i finished it um because it just had me intrigued so for me i didn't think i would give it a godzilla tier film when i started it but by the end and and after reflecting on it this is a godzilla tier film for me that's yeah, awesome. which, which I I didn't expect, but I, I really uh, got into it um, and it just captured my imagination for some reason this week. So there, there you have it. Probably the top, maybe, uh, I don't know if it's, it's the very top of, of our zombie list so far, but it, it's right up there. What would, be, what um, would be near it right now? I, I think White Zombie. Yes. White Zombie and this are my two favorites. So. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Man, that's awesome, Eric. I love to hear it. I love to hear that you got so into it. I mean, that's high praise if you're wanting to go back and rewatch the movie. Um, For me, it is because I don't really rewatch movies too much right now. So, <laughs> unlike you, I am very interested in watching the original cut, actually. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be very interesting, I'm sure. Um, so, next week, Alex, we'll be watching another 1970s. Uh, zombie film. Not 100% sure yet what that film will be. We're going to put up a poll on our Patreon um, based off some of the choices that John gave us, but also based Sugar off of other choices Hill. that, that may be... Sugar Hill. Yeah, Sugar, Sugar Hill is on there. Hill. That's what I'm hoping for. But, you know, it's not my <laughs> choice. This is uh, I know there's another film that's just called Zombie... Um, that we could potentially watch. There are a couple other options for us out there. Uh, so we'll put up a poll on Patreon and see what yeah. the people, the bargain base might want. Uh, and that will be out next And when week. we put that poll up, Eric, I'm gonna, we'll try to link some trailers to it so people can kind of actually like have a really informed opinion. Hmm. 
That'd on be it good. because I, some of these are probably pretty obscure zombie movies, so it might yeah. be good to give a little context. There you go. And luckily, yeah. John Freeman provided us with trailers for all YouTube videos for all of them. I think. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Man. <laughs> John Freeman. What a king. What a guy. What a, what a guy. Uh, as always, thank you for listening to Monsters vs. Men. You can leave us feedback on this episode at nvmpod.com or you can email us at nvmpod at gmail.com. You can also follow us and message us on Twitter and Instagram at nvm underscore pod. You become a bargain base mate at patreon.com forward slash nvmpod to receive weekly bonus content. And if you can't join at this time, a review or a share always helps. Monsters vs. Men is produced by Alex Cornette. Executive producers are Kevin Alexander, Faye Basier, John Freeman, and Michael Herndon. Special thanks to our wives, Kama Rock Band for PlayStation 3, which forms Sublock B, Louis Loops, Senior Honda, Drew the Collector, our Instagram connector, and you, as always, the listener, for listening. Until next time, don't be like Steven and teach someone else your job, because then you're expendable. And try to stay alive. Mafia, wake up, wake up. You have created a monster and it will destroy you. problem is we're all expendable soon if he never taught her how to fly he never would have died